Yo, this is Randall Stroud from Nalini Global with Franco Dow. How you doing, brother? <laughs> Another day in the zoo, my friend. Uh, absolutely. Every day. <laughs> oh, man, it's good to finally get you on here, man. I know we've been going back and forth about it, but uh, finally here, man. No better time than now. Yeah, you know, uh, for, for a guy who's a couple years younger than me, you, you uh you certainly have a very inquisitive mind and, and you're constantly searching for, for new truth and constantly reshaping, reevaluating. Uh, you know, it's been really cool seeing the journey that you've been going through and some of the, uh, you know, similar truths that we've uh, stumbled across. Absolutely, man. I, I definitely appreciate, I always appreciate your perspective as well. And even just the way that you've kind of, uh, achieved you know your journey in a way or how you're achieving your journey and how you've grown and things like that um so real quick um give down um so to speak of you know who you are what you do things like that just to break it down for our for our guests uh, for our people listening well um i'm, I'm a very in and that in that enigma okay i'll just leave it in enigmatic how, how do you say that word again i think it's enigmatic yeah there you go a little bit of a tongue twister yeah. but um it is, it is. But uh, I've, I've had a lot of experiences in my life. You know, I started off as a um, martial artist. I competed in various different uh, combat sports. I still train and coach, don't really compete anymore. I've authored, you know, many books. Uh, I was a paralegal for many years in di- various areas of the law. I've been an advocate for uh, divorce law reforms, uh, you know, father's rights, uh, I ran for political office um, here in the 51st district of Tennessee. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. I've done a lot of stuff. I'm basically a truth seeker, and I do have an organization, my own podcast, and a website. And it basically tries to educate the masses on domestic and international law as well as cultural issues because – Regardless of what your race or nationality or background is, I believe that people need to be more aware of geography, culture, and just the things that are happening around them. So that's pretty much who I am. It's a lot of stuff rolled into a big ball, but I'm trying to you know, make it a bit more cohesive. But yeah, I'm a pretty interesting guy. Absolutely, man. And if anything, I could even call you a bit of a renaissance man uh, in that way. And I mean, I'm going to be honest, though, I, I discovered your work in your page, uh, your Instagram page via um, Kevin Ross, the soul assassin, who's one of my favorite uh, Muay Thai fighters of all time. Um, I found you through him. And then I think that was when I started discovering like some of what you post and things like that. And uh, I got to say, I really respect you, you know, just the way you've really taken it upon yourself to, like you said, educate people about the things that are really going on in this world. And I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I, I took some influence from you in my own journey and in, in even the platform in which I'm doing it, you know, you've definitely been an inspiration to me. And I mean, I'm got to say, I'm really glad that we have kind of uh, of like minds of you and I um, talking about the real issues that are going on in this world, you know, because think about it, like a couple of years ago, we were talking about it and uh, we were all called conspiracy theorists or weirdos. And now the stories are breaking every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the problem, the main problem that's that's uh, happening in our world right now is extremism, uh, whether it's, you know, politics or it's, uh, you know, sociology or, you know, any kind of philosophy. 
everybody is way on the outer edges of their philosophy. There's no room for moderates anymore. And if you do try to be somewhat of a moderate in any sort of category, people want to look at you like you're like you're crazy or or they accuse you of uh, being a fence setter. Like, hey, you know, pick a side, pick a side, pick a side. When in reality, things are very nuanced. And that's why, you know, I sort of appreciate candidates like uh, like Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, I, love Tulsi. I don't agree with them. <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with them on every single you know issue. Like I would do some things uh, differently. But what I really like about them is that they try to look at an issue from a perspective of data, from a perspective of, you know, well, what's what's both sides of the coin on this issue? Let's try to find something that, that bridges the gap. It's, you know, Tulsi and Andrew Yang, they don't make their arguments based on emotion. They try to come at it from a logical standpoint. And even if you disagree with them, at least they're coming at you from a standpoint of rationality. Oh, I agree completely. And it's interesting you named literally my two favorite candidates. I'm I'm an enormous uh, supporter of Major Gabbard. And I, you know, in, in a just world, she would be the front runner and the, the main candidate uh, to, well, to oppose the president. But, but <laughs> even on the other side of the aisle for right. the Republicans, you know, you have guys, you know, like uh, like former Congressman Ron Paul, you know, he was that lone Republican that was like, hey, you know, uh, our foreign policy is a bit ir- imperialistic and you know and we have too many bases around the world and you know and this and that whether you agree with them or not he he took a brave stance and he wasn't away he wasn't afraid to cut away from his major party lines and i think that we need more of that where we can eventually abolish political parties altogether and we just have candidates instead of parties i agree completely i think um you know one of the lines that uh tulsi does use is uh country over party and she says that fairly often and i'm an enormous supporter of that because i'm a firm believer that you know the country has to kind of come before any political parties any political campaigns etc etc you know and this is why i you know i was a little i was pretty young when ross perot ran for office in uh, in 92 i think it was but uh oh yeah looking back on that uh on the campaign and things like that it was it was audacious in a good way because it took a a person outside of the political mainstream to basically talk about the issues that genuinely were affecting um americans both at that time and even now because ironically everything perot said said about the economy came to pass you know there's a giant sucking sound (laughs) well well you know (laughs) yeah i remember that line um but i remember ross perot I, i was young i think i was like maybe whenever he was running like seven or something like that, uh, I, I was pretty young, but Ross Perot got like 30% of the vote as an independent between a Republican and a Democrat. I mean, he, he got a very significant portion and no one's ever been able to replicate that, you know, since, but I really, really wish that people would listen to George Washington in his farewell address whenever he said to avoid political parties yeah you know uh political parties are, are dangerous to to our republic and i absolutely agree with them because i know so many people who whenever they vote they have no idea who they're voting for 
they just look at that D or R next to their name, like, oh, he's a Democrat, so he probably feels the same way as me, or oh, he's a Republican, he probably believes just like I do. And that may, you know, generally be true, but what if it's a, a Democrat who claims to believe in universal health care, but they never vote in favor for it because they're being paid off by lobbyists. But you didn't pay attention just because that D is next to their name. Or let's say that you're a conservative Republican and you vote for someone because they're Republican and you assume that they're pro-gun. But then they turn but, around and do like a, a, a gun control bill like our current president. <laughs> exactly. Like Donald Trump, he, he, he passed, you know. Red flag the, laws. And the, it's, it's very, very dangerous. And I, I've that's something I have <laughs> talked at length about. Um and I kind of want to expand on that a little bit. You know, it's that's a form of extremism, honestly, because it shows to the point that you you are so afraid of your citizens that you cannot trust them to responsibly own a firearm to the point where you're putting in these sort of tripwires, if you will, that if somebody is abnormal, quote unquote, or not behaving in the way that the powers that be want they're labeled as a nutcase and therefore their rights are then taken away with no due process well uh mr frank i want to be frank here frank (laughs) go for it man um (laughs) you start to realize that political parties are absolute bullshit yes can i say bullshit on your show yes you can all right cool (laughs) But political parties, <laughs> political parties are absolutely bullshit, and I have the evidence of it. You know that political parties are bullshit when Barack Obama, a liberal Democrat, broke records for the most deportations during a presidency, which, which is something that a conservative Republican president should be known for. And then on the flip side, you have a current Republican president donald trump who passed a law that banned bump stocks so and he and he passed the red flag laws so donald trump has put more regulations on guns than obama and and obama has had a stricter enforcement of immigration policies than trump and then whenever you say that to people they get so triggered. They're like, no, 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 because they're married to this belief that if you're a Democrat, you're this way. If you're a Republican, you're this way. Absolutely. When in reality, it's just the rhetoric. It's just the rhetoric. It really is because nobody bothers to pay attention to what the candidate actually believed in or um, sponsored or operated on. Um, like you said, Barack Obama was a um, – a liberal Democrat, but last count I checked, I believe it was about 380,000 uh, deportations over uh, over a period of years, um, and it was it far outstrips any, um, as far as I know, far outstrips any deport any mass deportations that any president has done in the past you know couple of decades. Um, so, I believe yeah. that George Bush only had around 110,000, so like half the amount is Obama. Yeah, and more I, than. Yeah, and I less th- than half. Less than half, yeah. And I think Trump is hovering somewhere just above what Bush has. I'd have to double check the numbers, but that sounds yeah. about close to where uh, where Trump is right now, contrary to popular rhetoric. Um, <laughs> but again, that's that's the problem, you see, because everybody is so wedded to the idea of political parties that the Democrat National Committee can, in 2016 and possibly now, screw over Bernard Sanders' 
uh, of his rightful nomination. He had the votes, he had the delegates, but due to political chicanery uh, in 2016, the nomination was then given by the party powers that be to Hillary Clinton. Now, whether you agree with Sanders or not, again, there's things I agree with, things I don't, same with every other politician. You have to recognize that parties are bullshit because if that was done in any other country, what had happened in 2016 with Bernie, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, if that had been done in any other country, the United States would be crying election, election fraud and they'd have UN inspectors all over the place. But because it's in America, with, because of a political party, no one says a word. Well, I have personal experience uh, with this on two accounts. You know, so back in 2012, and my political uh, opinions, I have to preface this, my political opinions have, have been all over the spectrum. Um, I've gone through different periods in my life. Now that I'm in my 30s, I've started to sort of find a, a, a footing of where I'm at politically, and I'm definitely a a moderate that slightly re- leans to the right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that can mean anything, you know, whenever you say you're a moderate, it, it really does mean that you can go in a lot of different directions. I'm really, I'm really an issue by issue kind of person. Absolutely. Uh, but with that being said, back in 2012, I was an avid Ron Paul supporter. And just like uh, Bernie Sanders, he got blacked out by the media a lot because he was touting something that his party line didn't like. Right. You know, he was talking about the Federal Reserve and, and about cutting back, you know, military spending. And I went to a straw poll and organized a bunch of Ron Paul supporters, and, and we blew away the straw poll uh, that happened. And Ron Paul won. They announced it at this event. Ron Paul wins the straw poll. But then that night on the local news, they said, we have the Tennessee straw poll results for the Republican primary, and the winner is Rick Santorum. Oh, good Lord. And I was, and me and all my friends were like, what the hell? Like, we were there. Yeah, you were looking around That's not like, what, what happened. happened. So we all called in to the news station, and, and we're just, like, yelling at them. And then, like, an hour later, you know, it was, like, the 10 o'clock news or 9 o'clock news. And, like, an hour later – the news reporter interrupted the program and was like, oh, earlier we reported that Rick Santorum won. Actually, it was Ron Paul. But in other news, they only mentioned it for like five seconds and then quickly went on to the next news story. People already saw it. They already believed that Rick Santorum won all the attention. The damage had already been done. Exactly. And my second um, uh, interaction with political corruption is whenever I ran for office myself, um, I ran against an incumbent uh, as a state representative in my district against a a uh, a very I want to call him sort of your your typical corporate Democrat. Right. You know, uh, there's nothing special. I ran against Bill Beck. I mean, I'm not going to get on here and and just you know slam him or anything. I got my criticisms of him. You can Google him and do the research yourself. But um, I ran against him. He he'd been an incumbent for. I think, you know, two terms and no Republican would run against him because I live in a very liberal district. Right. Um, I decided to run against him and the Republicans were like, oh, if you join our party, we'll give you lots of funding and, and we'll help you. And I was like, well, OK, I can run under the Republican banner. I, I don't care. But then I told them what my beliefs were and they said, well, we agree with you on some things, but. You know, you can't believe in, in this or that. You know, you have to change. And I was like, no, screw that. I'm just going to run as an independent. 
you can take your money and shove it. And I ran on my own and I only spent about $2,000 and I still managed to get nearly 20% of the vote. And my opponent spent about, I think, $96,000 on his campaign. So, you know, but during the early voting uh, portion, um, I had a bunch of friends calling me like, hey, man, uh, I wanted to vote for you, but you weren't on the on the ballot. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm on there. And then more people kept calling me. And it was like, hey, we don't see your name on the ballot, you know, so. I called up to the uh, election commission and, and I was like, hey, my name's not showing up on the ballot. And then he was like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's on there. So then the next day, whenever I went to do early voting, uh, I did see my name on there. So I don't know uh, if it was on there or not, but with the sheer amount of, of people and friends that, that called me, I have no reason to believe that they were lying about it. But, you know, I was an independent candidate. I produced my own commercial, shared it on Facebook. It got like 400 views. I mean, uh, 400 shares and thousands of views. And I think that the establishment felt uh, a little bit threatened that, hey, this little guy who is relatively unknown is making a dent and he's not spending a bunch of money and he doesn't belong to a party. Because that's what I've always wondered, honestly. How is it that there are only ever two parties? And there's not really much of a room for any anything else, you know, in Europe, at least say what you want about it. There is multiple parties and as such parties have to make coalitions uh, and, you know, negotiate in order to win seats in the parliament. We don't have that. It is literally a winner take all system in which if you are the as you can tell, if you are the nominee of a certain party and you win, you win everything. You know, I mean, it's just so crazy that we have two parties. I mean, you know, the standard classic Republican is lower taxes, you know, less gun regulations, labor. you know, pro-life, you know, all the standard, you know, positions. And then with the liberals, you know, a liberal Democrat, you know, pro-choice, more social programs, uh, you know, less wars, you know, um, you know, socially more, uh, you know, liberal, whatever. But the thing is, is that there's all these shades of gray in between. Like I know some hardcore, you know, liberals who are like pretty much socialists, <laughs> but they're like, but they're like, no, um, I am a proud gun owner. You know, nobody's taking my gun. I'm not going to be a you know, a slave to the government. I'm not going to be put on some chopping block if shit goes down. I'm not giving up my gun. Exactly. You know, so I've met some liberal Democrats who are, you know, hardcore gun people. And I've met some very conservative Republicans who go to church every Sunday and they and they love, you know, Jesus and all that good stuff. But they're for universal health care. Yeah. Like these people do exist. Oh, yeah. And, you know. You may not believe it, but if you do enough talking, if you dig deep enough into someone's political beliefs, most people are moderate to the left or moderate to the right. Most people are not as extreme as social media and the news would have you believe. But that's all they talk about is the extreme people. All they do is uh, talk about the fringe, and that's to really kind of – Exactly. And I've noticed this more and more because I've seen things on the left and on the right with the fringe extremes is that 
you know, when you really boil it down, uh, the fringes are just that, the fringes. They're a small percentage of people. And uh, like you said, the majority of people, they just want the country to be unified, uh, jobs for their jobs to work, um, health care for their families, and, you know, a, a solid, safe, orderly country. You know, when you really get down to brass tacks, it's it's basically peace, land, and bread. You know, that's, that's about to really boil it down there. And you said social media. Well, you know. Well, well, I was just going to say that if you talk to the average uninformed person and you tell them that you're a Donald Trump supporter, they're going to immediately say, oh, so you support the things that happened in Charlottesville. Oh, you're a racist. Oh, my God. You're a Nazi. And, 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 oh, it's terrible. Oh, my and, God. They're going to try to hit you with a bike lock. <laughs> and if you tell someone that you're a, you know, a Democrat, you're a Bernie uh, Sanders supporter, and then some uninformed conservative person might say, oh, my God, you know, you're one of those and- – <laughs> You're, you're, you're one of those Antifa oh, people, Lord. you know? Damn, dear. I mean, I but, ain't voting for no dang communism, boy. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, just so, it's just so ridiculous uh, that we have to be trapped into this Pepsi versus Cola. To be honest, I don't really like Pepsi all that much. I really don't like Coca-Cola all that much. Whenever I buy a soda, I get an orange Fanta. Yep. Exactly. No, I mean, <laughs> and if I, if I go so, for the soda, I'll usually go for um... – Usually go for a ginger ale, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. Yes. So why do we have to be stuck between Pepsi and Cola, Democrat, Republican? Like, I want my ginger ale. I want my Dr. Pepper. I want my vitamin water, my my Gatorade, my Powerade. Hey, shout out to all the big corporations. Just gave you free oh, plugs Lord. there. Feel free to sh- send me a check. Yeah. Send me, um, <laughs> send, me a, send me a free case of Gatorade. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, the, the point that I'm making is is that if you went to a restaurant and they only had two items on the menu, that restaurant would go out of business pretty quickly, pretty quickly you know. Um, we need at least a handful of choices on a restaurant menu. So why is it any different that whenever we go to vote, we, all we have is Democrats and Republicans, and people will argue, well, if you look closely on there, you'll see independents. And that is true. You'll see you know, someone from the Constitution Party, the Green Party. They are on the ballots, but the problem is is that they're not getting any sort of mainstream attention. I mean, like, come on. In the last presidential debate, you know, Jill Stein is not being invited to debate with you know, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump anytime soon. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And even within the, uh, the, the mainstream parties. And I, I noticed this because I happen to just follow it because again, I'm a Tulsi Gabbard supporter and, you know, I kind of wanted to see how she did. I was also an Andrew Yang supporter. wanted to see how he did. And I was amazed at basically the media blackout on Tulsi and Yang and uh, Bernie Sanders. And the main people that they kept pushing were the same corporate Dems that, quite frankly, have dragged this country down into the gutter. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like there's there's infighting over, you know, Donald Trump. You know, he's an incumbent. Everybody's going to fall in line for him, basically, because that's how our system works. The incumbent always, you know, tends to win. And um, then it, it becomes this sort of hot potato game where, you know, you sometimes see uh, your the candidate you support and then you don't see them on the next uh, debate stage, you know? Well, Donald Trump, if he 
didn't already have his own money, he wouldn't have won because, you know, uh, I mean, say what you want about Donald Trump, but we have to be real here. The media didn't really like him either. He, he, he's, a, he, he's, he's a bit eccentric, and I'm being very nice and, and liberal with my yeah, language yeah. here, uh, but he's eccentric to, to say the least, and he doesn't really have that presidential aura about him. Um, guy has no tact. Let's be, and, let's be upfront about that. He has no tact, and yes, but that's why people vote. Yes, and exactly that's why people voted for him. They were like, you know what? I don't care what his policies are. This guy is just, you know, he's authentic. Yeah. That's one thing that you can say about you know Donald Trump is that he's he's authentic, and even if even if it's in a a brash way, people gravitate more towards a rude person. Who is real, rather than someone who is presidential and 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 they speak in a very you know uh, you know th- they use very prolific and you know uh, ten dollar words uh, yeah yeah varied uh, vocabulary their vocabulary is is very spot on and they speak as if they're robots. People are sick of that shit, and then whenever you get a guy who gets up there and, and he's just like, hey, it's a bunch of fake news and you know, the, the, the media is supported by a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, corrupt uh, CEOs and this and this. And people's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's finally saying what, you know, what we think. What I mean, the guys, years, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, so that's why people voted for him. And I really think that one major positive thing that came out of Donald Trump's presidency, you know, whether you agree with his policies or not. One positive thing that came out of it is he's definitely influenced the way that people run races. I mean, like, uh, you know, people are getting up there and and they're being a little bit less uh, robotic. People are being a little bit more uh, personable. People are, are sort of wearing their emotions on their sleeves a little bit more and, and trying to be a, a bit more authentic. Um, but honestly – I think out of all of the the Democratic uh, candidates, Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard, they are heads and shoulders above everyone on that stage. Um, even Bernie, like Bernie, can get very emotional and he can kind of lose his shit sometimes. Yeah. But but uh, from an emotional standpoint, from a mental standpoint, Tulsi Gabbard, especially her. I mean, this woman went overseas and fought in a war. She's uh, been divorced and since remarried. Uh, you know, she's a congressperson. She has all this shit on her plate. But whenever she does interviews, uh, whenever she gets on stage, she is, you know, about as balanced as a person could be in that position. Uh, and even if you don't agree with her policies, that sort of emotional stability is something that's highly, highly desirable in a presidential candidate. And I can say the same thing for Andrew Yang, too, is Andrew Yang, from time to time, also with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, they would give uh, Trump some some props. They look at Trump as just a human being. They're like, hey, he did some things that were good, but, you know, I'm not up here to just bash him. This isn't about Trump. This is about me presenting my ideas to help the country. And I thought that that was a very mature stance to take. I think it absolutely was for, for both of them. And I think one of the things, one of the things I loved, I think it was both Yang and Gabbard saying this, but they said, it's not about quote unquote, defeating Donald Trump. 
because that's just focusing on the symptoms. What nobody realizes is that there was a sea of conditions that made Donald Trump get elected, whether you like the guy or not. A lot of people don't like the guy, but nobody, you know, they were saying nobody looks at the, the, the root cause. Nobody looks at why uh, a guy like Trump could get elected. And, you know, people, uh, people jaws dropped when they said that, you know, because it's like, again, nobody wanted to look at the root cause, but they were, you know, Gabbard and Yang were saying that it's like, it's a systemic problem. It's a problem with our system that is currently failing our, our people, our citizens. Well, did you get a chance to watch the Republican primaries whenever Donald Trump was initially running? Like, did you watch any of those? Yes, I did. I did. Well, um, if you noticed whenever Donald Trump started to obviously become one of the front runners, uh, everyone started targeting him, making fun of him, saying there's no way he can become president. He acts like a buffoon and he's this and this. And if if the Democrats can learn anything from those Republican primaries is that whenever you put all of your energy into discrediting someone, you're still giving them attention yeah. and you're still building them up, whether you realize it or not. And that's exactly why Trump won is because all the other candidates have abandoned their platform and they made it about we can't let Donald Trump be our nominee for our party. Let's all gang up on him. Mm-hmm. And then people love to cheer for the underdog. Absolutely. And on top of that, you know, and this is what nobody wants to talk about. The majority of the people, you know, and this was initially why I didn't quite believe the criticism against Trump in the very beginning when he first won. I, I have nothing but contempt for Hillary Clinton. Full disclosure there. Um, and so I was like, OK, you know, it'll be, you know, somebody, you know, for a. Uh, Somebody will come up, new blood and whatnot. And, um, you know, the majority of people that were criticizing Trump were, to be quite honest, the same people that had failed in previous administrations or they had, you know, caused great damage to to our country. So I was less inclined to believe them. You know, just the state of politics is is in such disarray and. If you look at the state of politics, it's oftentimes a reflection of the state and health of the country. I, I mean, th- there was something that Ron Paul really said that, that really, really resonated with me. Um, he said that the less moral a society becomes and the more that families disintegrate, the more reliant that they are going to become on the government, you know, so let's look at, at what society looks like right now. You know, divorces are at an all time low because marriages are also at an all time low. People aren't getting married. And then whenever they do get married, there's a 50 percent chance that a divorce is going to happen. And then once that divorce happens, the father's most likely going to get pushed out of the picture He's going to get put on child support, alimony. If he misses one of those payments, he'll go to jail. I mean, I, I've, I've talked about this ad nauseum so many times. I, I don't even want to get into the whole father's rights thing. Right, I mean, it's been talked to death <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, but and then because kids are, especially boys, are growing up in single parent homes, no disrespect to single mothers because there's a lot of awesome single mothers out here that are just killing it. They are doing a fantastic job, but aside, you cannot. The average means. 
you, you cannot replace uh, a father in a son's life. And if he grows up under the wing of his mother, he's going to be more feminized. And if he's more feminized, then, you know, it's, he's going to be more likely to lean towards things like transgenderism because there's nobody that he can look up to to define, well, what does it mean to be masculine? Being masculine doesn't mean, you know, chopping down a tree or, you know, uh, smacking your, your female coworker on, on, on the behind. You know, that's not what masculinity no. is. If you talk to a feminist, they'll tell you that toxic masculinity is a guy that likes to lift weights and, and abuse women. Oh, that's not masculinity. That's just a guy being uh, a, a meathead yeah. or a dickhead, whatever you want to call him. Masculinity is about taking charge, being a leader, being brave, looking at uh, something that that scares the hell out of you, but you dig deep and you want to become a protector for either your family, your friends, or your country. That's what masculinity is. And then femininity is wanting to be a healer, wanting to be the softness in the world that is cruel and hard. Uh, it's femininity is, is the pillow to the ax. The man is the ax, but the ax sometimes needs to lay on something that's not going to damage its handle. It needs to lay on something soft. And that's what a woman is supposed to be. But that whole family dynamic is so screwed up now. And, and again, I'm not saying that in order to be a good woman or a good wife, that you have to be that woman that just stays in the kitchen and cooks and cleans and then just waits for your husband to come home from work. That's not, that, that's not what I'm saying. You can have the career. You can you know, get an education. You can be a woman who you know, does for herself. But whenever you're in the presence of your man, you have to realize that, hey, as a man, he can think and do certain things better than I can because of his brain chemistry and because of his, his physicality, he has certain advantages over me. And men have to look at women the same way. Her, her femininity is something that is desirable. I don't want to be equal to a woman. No. Our, differences, our, our differences is what makes us um, unique and special. And to, and to sum up my point, to, to let you chime in on this, is that because – our, our basic family units and our concepts of masculinity and femininity are so screwed up that the government is having to step in more to fix problems, and the state is growing because of that. No, I agree completely on the sense that it's, you know, it's this sense of, yeah, everything has been rendered apart. Um, and granted, you know, in a strange way, I am an advocate for a stable strong government but again as we just mentioned um a strong nation is reflective of a strong culture uh meaning the fact that we have these leaders um means that our culture has degraded basically and it's interesting that you mentioned the whole family versus career thing i would argue because you know my views are a little different when it comes to certain things and other people I would argue that it was because of globalism, international capitalism that pushed um, feminism into the, the lives of, of men and women that made uh, men and women attempt to be equal. Now, that sounds nice on paper, but as we can see, women are now having to balance between 
family and career, as you and I both know, if you try to multitask too much, nothing is getting your full attention. And that's yep. why you have children that, let's say like, let's say the ideal family uh, nowadays, mother works, father works, um, who's raising the kid? If you're lucky, it's a grandma or grandpa. If you're, uh, huh. and if you're not, it's, you know, an any, a babysitter, um, or in this case, the uh, or daycare. daycare. Yeah. And that's the rich families. The poor families can't really, don't really have much else. That's why you have a generation of latchkey kids who, you know, have to basically raise themselves after a certain point in time. And uh, it's interesting because we're all talking about equality. We're all talking about, you know, um, equal uh, equality between men and women. When in reality, as shown more and more, women don't want to be equal to men. Some say they do, but marriage-wise, they don't. They want the man to make a little bit more money than they do, be a little bit more successful than they are, because they feel that they can be more secure with that man. Um, biological imperative and all that jazz. And... Uh, you know, our family structure has become so ripped apart that, you know, we are now having all these deep social problems because that family structure is being ripped apart. Again, like you said, single motherhood, credit to the single mothers out there that, are do, that can do the best. They're the exceptions. The majority of them, and this has been documented by people as varied as the, uh, I believe it was the Roosevelt Foundation or Roosevelt Institute and Tucker Carlson. Single motherhood is bad for young boys, is bad for the family and the country and the nation as a whole you know and it's, it's something that we're only starting to see the ramifications of now as you've said they're you know higher higher crime uh less money less likely to graduate from college less likely to get married it's it's detrimental to to the nation and, and the society well i mean i really feel a little bit conflicted on, on this issue because i grew up I was lucky enough to, to grow up uh, in a traditional household where my father worked and my mom stayed at home. Um, but, you know, my parents divorced when I was maybe like 12, 13. Right. Um, and then things got really crazy and weird after that. But, but I, at least for a couple of years of my life, I got to see what that setup looked like. I got to see the pros and the cons of it. And the only con that I can really see of it is after my parents divorced, my mom had no resume to speak of and she had to get out there and like get a job and, you know, and provide for herself. And she was just like, well, I've just been, you know, a housewife for, you know, 15 years. So like, what, what am I going to do? I mean, so I understand that especially after your kids get older and, you know, they start going to school or they start having friends and they're doing things on their own, that being that stay at home mom uh, can start to feel maybe boring at some points, or maybe you're just a woman who says, you know what, I'm tired of men, you know, getting all of the glory. I want to invent something. I want to be in the history books. I want to do something great. Uh, and I totally get that. But I think at the very least that whenever a woman has a child, she should try to stay at home with the child for at least the first five years of his life because those are like the key developmental uh, times of that child. And, and if you're able to stay home with that child the first couple years of his life, you can really get a head start on his development and you, and you can ingrain 
certain things into him before the world gets a hold of him. I agree completely on that one. And I mean, it's easier said than done, of course, just because the necessity yes. of our, our hyper-capitalist world makes it so that the mother and the father have to work. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, my both my mom and my dad did work. And my dad, you know, traveled quite a bit for business. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a complicated situation, you know. And it was... Uh, and, and, you know, when I was, you know, an angry teenager, I was just like, no, I'll never, you know, be like, you know, dad, I'll try to stay home as much as possible. But now that I'm getting older and, you know, I'm in college and I, I'm working and things like that. I start, you know, chewing over like like old memories and stuff. I'm like, did he have to go through the same things that I do? Was he trying to juggle a lot of, you know, a lot of balls in the air at once? It's, it's you know, it takes a toll on people because it's like think about it like this the mother and the father both have to work and then it ends up being to where neither parent truly fully has time for the child you know i mean my mom did the best she could because i think she was only working part-time most of the time but you know um again we're talking purely average here you know obviously there are going to be women and men who are just like you know maybe family isn't for me or hey maybe i want to try to be in the history books and that's perfectly acceptable but averages are are what matter you know Um, yeah that's true. And par- yeah, and to paraphrase kind of what Tucker Carlson said, you know, um, when he was talking about why people would turn to socialism, he was talking about, like, it's because people can't get married. It's because people can't afford families. It's because people can't afford you know, our generation. Let's be honest, can't really afford home ownership. Uh, and even the younger generations like underneath us coming up, they can't afford home ownership, most of them. Um, and it, it's gotten to where you and me and quite a few others have like debt hanging around our necks you know and we are in this system that requires that we have to pay it off or we have to be at a certain income level to really truly have kids and it's something that's becoming detrimental to our development let's be honest still there yeah i'm still here can you hear me oh okay you cut out there for a second Oh, man. No, I was just saying it's detrimental to our development. Yeah. Just the fact well, that the mother and the father kind of have to both work at the same time. And even you and I, our generation, we tend to get married way later, uh, have kids way later, and buy a house way later. Well, and, and here's the thing, too, is that some people will will counter their argument and they'll say, well, you know, if you just stop going out to eat, if you stop, you know, spending all your money on – you know, entertainment and you get a second job and you save, you can become a homeowner and, and pay that mortgage and, and work overtime and all that stuff. And you know what? That that may be true, but th- there's another side of this argument too, is that we grew up watching our parents work jobs that they absolutely hated too. Yeah. You know, so our generation also we're not as concerned with just I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but I want to have a job that fulfills me, that makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. Uh, but there's all there's all these menial jobs that are coming out, you know, like oh, I'm going to be an admin person, and I'm just going to like you know do spreadsheets all day, or you know I'm I'm going to be a a cashier at some restaurant and even though it's paying me 15 bucks an hour and I can get by, you don't, you don't feel excited uh, about that. And 
so we go to college and, and we get a degree to try to become a counselor or, or, or something that makes us feel like we're really impacting people. But then we realize that there's a, a million other people with that same degree competing for that job. And then if we can't get that dream job, then we're stuck with all this student loan debt. And then here's the other thing. People say, well, I don't feel sorry for people with student loan debt because it was their choice to, you know, to, to sign up and make that investment and they should have to pay it off. And you know what? I kind of agree with that, but I don't, but let me hear you. Oh, out. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Yeah. All right. But, but the other side of the argument is, well, that is kind of true because I never got into a student loan. I, I took a bunch of certification classes and I took a very untraditional route and I was able to become an investigator and a paralegal without going to a university, but it was a very hard and difficult road. And everywhere I go, I have to prove myself more because I don't have that degree. But our entire generation was preached at constantly was drilled into our head. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. That's all we heard. Now we're being told, well, you shouldn't have went to college if you didn't want all those student loans. And, and we're like, really? You've been preaching to me since I was three years old. Hey, work hard and go to college and get a degree and, and you'll be okay. And now the boomers are flipping the script and are like, well, you shouldn't have made that investment. So we've been fed this message and now it's being turned on our heads. It's almost like uh, like gaslighting someone, you know. Absolutely. You know, you know, someone smacks you across the face and you're like, why did you smack me? And they're like, I didn't smack you. What are you talking about? You're just, you know, you're just imagining it. Oof. Yeah, I've, I've seen that situation play out before in some relationships. But um, no, I agree completely. And I mean, the reason I said I disagree with you on that one is because it's like perhaps in the days where one part time job could pay off a whole semester of college and where home ownership was as easy as like one two three and you could work one 40-hour job to get that house and that nice car um or maybe you need to work a second job but it was still manageable you were still able to do it um because you had like a, a good strong solid job union or otherwise or the company would take care of you or there would be a pension at least when you gave 20 some years to the company um we don't have that um we are squeezing blood out of a stone. And that's the phrase I always use whenever some boomer or somebody from Gen X or whoever, anybody is just like, oh, you should work harder. You should, uh, you should, you should do this. You should learn about, you know, nine kinds of digital marketing. You should, you know, find a way to do that. And I'm like, I'm squeezing blood from, from, a, from a stone here. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's stretching myself to, to the limit because no, I'm not going to be like these boomers where I kill myself for, for a job and then I end up with nothing, you know? I'm already having student debt because I'm trying to, to finish college. Um, and I mean, it's, it's this odd form of hypocrisy that, like you said, we, the same people that told us for decades, you know, your generation, um, our generation, um, the generation under us, generation before us, oh, we'll go to college, you'll get a good job, everything will be great. We go to college, we get the debt. And now we're like, wait a minute, we are stuck in, you know, low paying service sector jobs because corporations outsourced everything to China and India. Or let's say you got a STEM degree, um, the, the science, techni technical, engineering, mathematics degree. Guess what? These Chamber of Commerce Republicans or Democrats or whoever just import 
cheap labor from from India. They give them all the H-1B visas and then basically you're paid to train your replacement. And so there's been a lot of systematic flaws in, in what we currently have because everybody's been sacrificing for short-term gain for the sh- everybody wants short-term gain, but nobody thinks about the long-term and we're seeing the side effects of the long-term. Oh, and I am technically a millennial, you know, I was right. born in 1987 right. and I was born in late 91. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that's just like, Oh, it's us versus them. You know, uh, screw the boomers, the, the, <laughs> Just over. It's all their fault, you know. They're they're a bunch of in the past, you know. Because you know, the boomers are right about us in 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 some ways. Whenever it comes to that whole, hey, well, you know, I went to college and I got a part time job and I paid off my student loans. You know, why can't you? Yeah. Whenever it comes to stuff like that, yeah, the the the, the boomers are totally like no idea what they're talking about but when it comes to things like you know traditional masculinity and and you know and and femininity and how family structures are supposed to be together and how if something goes wrong you're not supposed to just run straight for the divorce court but you know figure things out a couple of times and and you know and care about what you look and care about your reputation our generation and i don't mean this for everybody but it's popular but but it's popular in our generation to just not care about anything you know it's like well i don't care what people think i don't care what people think you should care and we do care what people think because reputation is everything if your company if you start your own business and your company has a bad reputation no one's going to do business with you. And if you have a bad reputation as a person, no one's going to want to date you. No one's going to want to be your friend. I mean, so I'm not saying that we should care what people think so much to where we stop, you know, being true to ourselves, but having a little bit of shame about how we carry ourselves and having a little bit of respect and biting our tongues to spare the feelings of other people occasionally these are qualities that the boomers did have that i think that we need to bring back I, that i do agree with you know and like you said when it comes to certain things boomers are out of touch you know but i think we you know not just our generation but even the one before us kind of internalized this deep nihilism that that sense that nothing matters um because oh you only live once oh um live life now while you're here blah 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 and i i personally disagree very much with that um but it's like you said in the olden days there was class no matter if you were rich poor black white no matter where you were from you had class you had dignity i there's nothing like watching youtube videos from like the 1950s and 60s and seeing men of all classes and colors women of all classes and colors be very dignified you know you could have somebody who's like a, a a poor person or working just a regular job as a clerk but they'll, they'll wear a suit, they'll make an effort to look dignified, you know, as best they can. And that's something, like you said, that we lack. We don't do that anymore, and we absolutely need to. And that's why, you know, when it comes to, you know, dating and relationships and things like that, I always encourage men to 
to look elsewhere um, out of the United States. Like if you look into countries, you know, like the example, um, they're, they're a very conservative country. And if you want to get a divorce, it's very difficult to do. And you have to prove to the judge that like, hey, like there's some really bad things going on here. And then even then you have to do these counseling uh classes there's every effort made to preserve the marriage even call it divorce that they just call it annulment because they're very religious and they don't even believe in the word divorce that's the old uh, catholic but, way of doing it yeah i remember that from sunday school <laughs> so you know um if you're you know dating uh, a woman from like the the philippines or even like you know some parts in korea away from the 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 big you know, or the Ukraine, Russia, these, these kind of countries where, you know, family is still something that's very important, uh, trying to be self-reliant and strong and proud of your country and proud of your people and all these things, where those things are still preached, they're women. Now, I'm not saying that they're perfect, you know, dating someone who is from a, a, a different country, it does have some, you know, unique challenges and problems, and not everyone from these countries are, are perfect, but um, but but even in the United States, if you avoid people from the big cities and you go to these smaller places, family matters a little bit more. Um, but in these other countries where Western principles of, hey, do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. The people are a little bit nicer. They're more appreciative. Um, and if we look at things – from an objective perspective, and we compare the women in the United States versus the women in a place like the Philippines or Ukraine. Hey, sorry about that, my friend. Uh, I lost you in that last segment there. Oh, definitely. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Awesome. Okay, good. No, I remember. So when we when we lost each other, I think you were talking about how there's possibility of you know a guy, a regular guy dating outside the United States and possibly finding uh, traditional areas where they still care about family, you know, at least the ones that haven't been infested with like, you know, these Western globalist values. Well, well, yes. And, you know, my, my current girlfriend, you know, she's not from uh, the United States and, you know, not saying that she's perfect or anything. Don't want to go too deep into it, but for the most part, she's heads and shoulders above, you know, most women here. I mean, she hasn't been with, you know, a million guys. She, you know, carries herself respectfully in public, you know, says, yes, ma'am, no, sir, you know, uh, and just has all those basic things. And you don't see that nowadays. It's becoming more and more rare that you have to go through sort of this this ritual to get to know each other. I mean, we have so much access to each other that we don't really appreciate the process of getting to know one another. And then once we do have each other, you know, it's almost like playing with a toy. It's like, oh, well, you know, that was fun for a couple of days. Let me get back on, you know, on Tinder or one of these dating apps or whatever. And I think that part of that is our fear because once we find love in this day and age, we came from the generation of divorce 
and we tell ourselves this can't possibly be real. I need to back out before I become vulnerable. I mean, so we have some deep seated psychological issues in this country when it comes to relationships and love and marriage. But when it comes to dating foreign women, there's one, two major problems. The first major problem is you got to find out, does this person really love me or are they just trying to get a green card so they can get to the USA and, you know, and they're trying to advance their agenda. And the second thing you got to worry about is them being corrupted by society by here yeah. by by the western society because a lot of sweet innocent girls that come here from from korea and the philippines and russia and ukraine and and you know all these more conservative places places where they really respect masculinity and 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 they have a a sense of modesty about yeah. themselves you bring them to the united states and then like they'll leash off all of a sudden well, yeah, you bring them to the United States, and if you don't shelter them or, or, or you don't protect them is, is the right word. I shouldn't say shelter, but if you, don't them, yeah, guide them. If, you don't, if you don't protect them from all of the, the insanity that's happening here, you know, that same girl who came here with a long dress and speaking very softly and, you know, she respects her parents and all these things, you come back and see her again three years later – She's, you know, wearing mini skirts. She's all – she's already had five or six, you know, boyfriends back. You know, she's uh, experimenting with different drugs. She has a bunch of piercings and tattoos all over her body. And, and again, I'm not saying that people that, oh, you know, if you have piercings or tattoos, then you're automatically this very loose, you know, sexual person or, or whatever. But those are indicators oftentimes of, um, of you know – what kind of things that you're going to be into. And I, and I know that sounds very like 1950-ish, but if you do the studies, if you look at the studies that are out there, people who have lots of tattoos usually have something, some kind of trauma that they're trying to cover up and mask because why would a person want to put a needle to their skin and rip their flesh and carve something into it? Yeah, and I mean, I on on that level, I agree with you. I think that our one, our culture, and in, in, encourages disposability. Everything is disposable yeah. in this culture. I kid you not. Everything is disposable in this culture, and that extends to our love, our dating, our romance. Second point: um, our media doesn't help because it just infects people with garbage, with with just utter rot. And you know, less people think I'm somehow some sort of like angry protestant puritan uh no <laughs> go back and listen to the rap music from the 1980s your run dmc yes. your grandmaster flash yeah. guys like that contrast that to now back in those days even though the the uh the, the you know the the more like you know thuggish rap in the 80s had a message you know even slick rick was you know rapping about like criminal life but then he would rap about how it wasn't good for people the yes. 90s everything changed and on god the 2000s and, and the 2010s especially just accelerated it. And now we have rappers dying of, of pill overdoses, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, it's insanity, you know? Well, well I, I want to I go back to, you know, what I was saying. I want to elaborate more on what I said about tattoos because I do have tattoos. And Ken, I'm not – I'm not – Get in that as well, but let me hear you out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 
I'm I'm not against tattoos and and piercings and all these things because I have a couple of uh, tattoos myself. But when I go back and I look at whenever I got these tattoos, I just got divorced. Very strict, clean, disciplined life. Some people would call it boring. I thought it was boring, and so I went crazy for a couple of years, drinking, partying. Like doing all the stuff that I thought I was missing out on, got all the the tattoos, got my ear pierced, and you know um, I was getting into some street fights, and thought I was really just living the life. But then now that I'm 32, I'm starting to calm down a little bit, and I look back and I'm like, that was just me rebelling against myself, and a a, a certain amount of rebellion is normal. I'm not saying. You know, I'm not that guy, hey, kids, get off my lawn. I'm some Puritan priest. No, a little bit of rebellion, creativity, self-expression. If you're getting a tattoo for the right reasons or it's a part of your culture, hey, go for it. But if you're just getting a, a, a tattoo because you subconsciously enjoy the pain or or you want to send a message to the world because a lot of people – they say, oh, I'm getting this tattoo to remind me to never give up. You don't need a tattoo to remind you to not give up. I mean, who looks down at their arm and they're like, hey, this tattoo that I got that says never give up. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to give up because my tattoo reminded me. No, the message is in your heart. The tattoo yeah. is there so so you can show it off to other people and, exactly. and, and, uh, and flex your status that, oh, look how tough I am. I have a tattoo. I'm so edgy. 99% of people get tattoos for frivolous, unspiritual reasons. That's all I'm saying. But there are no. people who do get them for legit reasons, and those people do not apply to this conversation. I agree completely. I have two tattoos. One of them is related to my faith. Um, I have Neptune's trident on, on, uh, on me. And I have the Celtic uh, triple knot, the Triskel, on me as well. Um, and I made a promise to myself when I was first thinking about getting a tattoo, the Triskel, I was thinking about getting it for two. I held on to that for two years because I said to myself, I want to make sure that it is something that I will never regret. And I want to make sure that it is something that will continue to be meaningful to me long after I've made that decision. And both of them absolutely are. And, um, you know, again, I'm a firm believer in meaningful tattoos and in tattoos related to your faith or to something very, very deep and poignant. Um, but as you've said, the majority of people, I hate to say it, they get tattoos because it's a fashion trend. They get tattoos yeah. because it's, it's, you know, cool. It's like trendy, like look at me, edgy brah, you know, type of shit. And uh, that's, that is one of the things that is detrimental where it's like everything becomes a fad. Uh, it's crazy, crazy thing about, you know, talking about i'm going to dive into something weird a little bit but somebody uh, in my psychology class happened to mention how trends get kind of um exacerbated by you know the internet or by tv or things like that you know our celebrity have, yeah celebrities especially um you know after 50 shades of gray came out everybody was somehow suddenly into bdsm when they yes. didn't even know what that phrase so meant true. at all yeah. And I'm over here, like, I'm telling people, I'm like, look, most people don't realize that, one, it's just a movie, and two, if you want to get into that kind of lifestyle, that's not something you dive into willy-nilly. You have to take a lot of um, preparation, time, effort, and conversation, absolute preparation, especially for something, 
for a lifestyle like that. Absolutely. I've been in there and I've seen it. And I, I you know, I, I can speak from experience. It takes <laughs> a lot of effort and time and making sure you know what the hell you're doing. Safe, sane, and consensual is their watchword. Yeah. yeah. So we're in a really, you know, weird time where people are just kind of, you know, throwing off the train the chains of tradition, so to speak, like so willy nilly, like, hey, you know what? Transgenderism is cool now. If you know people people are saying if my seven year old kid wants to, you know, get a sex change operation, that's so, cool. You know, their their self expression. It, it's just them expressing themselves. No. Sorry, but if my seven-year-old child wants to get a sex change operation, it ain't gonna happen. We're, you know, we're gonna sit down and have some serious talks, uh, or I'm gonna just dismiss it and be like, "Man, they're just going through some weird phase." I mean, hell, my twin sister, whenever she was five years old, she used to say all the time, "I want to be a boy. I want to be just like my dad because I love my dad so much." Yeah, if my mom. If my mom went out and said, well, you know, your sister wants to be a boy. She keeps saying that she wants to be just like, like her dad. So we're going to take her to the hospital. My sister would be pissed right now. Of course. No. And, you know, it's it's I think it you know, it's it's that joke that, um, you know, uh, a, a tra- transgender child is like a vegan cat. We know who's really making the decisions there. Uh, because yep. You know, it's one thing if you are an adult and you have either believed that all your life or you believe it um, for a significant amount of time and you know you get to the age of being able to make that choice for yourself and you make that choice for yourself that's one thing you're an adult yes go with go with your gods always you know do what you need to do um, but I think child or children is where I, I kind of draw the line on that one and I say it's disgusting because it is quite frankly the child cannot consent to that decision the child probably doesn't even know what it really is you know because think about it what did you know at seven eight nine ten eleven years old you know it's, it's whenever it's something I, that's wh- disconcerting to me whenever i was six or seven years old i wanted my name to be wolverine or cyclops <laughs> or spider-man and i wanted to have an extra arm like right? i wanted all this weird shit and, you want a tail I, you want to you know how to teleport like i was nightcrawler you know <laughs> but you know what's funny is that if i had uh, if if I was born in this generation and I was saying that kind of stuff, I might have some weird parents who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll take you to the doctors next week to get that extra arm sewn on to you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freaking kid, okay? You yeah. know? In, in some jurisdictions, I believe up in Indiana, it's considered child abuse if your child asks you for a sex change operation and you say no. They consider it child abuse because you're not you're not <laughs> recognizing their their gender preference and people are getting their children taken away from them oh god then that's probably a plot by cps to to make money off the kids because this is something i've learned more and more a lot of the child protective services and cps and people like that they get money off of these kids because they'll they'll yes. pay like foster families to raise those kids and things like that and then that's when you always hear the horror stories about the kids getting taken away. And then the foster parents are the ones that, you know, abuse them or hurt them. Or I think in one case even killed one recently. And it's, it's something that 
it's it's toxic. We have a very toxic culture. You have a culture that, quite frankly, doesn't care about children anymore because look at what they're doing. Um, and it's one of those things where, you said before, we have garbage leaders because our culture is garbage. Our our culture is, is rotten. And I say this as somebody who was born in late '91. I'm I'm still a relatively young guy. You know, everybody like people was like, "Oh, you're sounding like an old man." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'm saying exactly what I see around me, and it stinks." <laughs> Well, and the problem with the United States is that we don't really have a culture. Our, our culture is the Constitution, the First and Second Amendment specifically. We're a very unique country that has a Constitution. All the other countries followed suit, and they created Constitutions. But there are actually three things that made our country great, and that was the First and Second Amendment, and the fact that we had uh, U.S. Uh, patent laws, tr uh, intellectual property. Because in other countries, there was no like real intellectual property laws. You could invent something; someone could just steal it very easily. Yeah. And you know, thanks to President Obama, he ruined that system because we were a first to invent uh, patent system, but now we have converted to the European model of first to file. So, Ooh, that's so, so if you invent something, but you're not some you know rich asshole who has the money to pay thousands of dollars in filing fees, someone can just steal your idea and then go file the paperwork and it's theirs. Yeah, you've got Tesla versus Edison all over again. And but to be quite honest, I think what's going on now could well be worse than Tesla versus Edison. How much? So, uh, how many so, things have been developed that got shut down? Go ahead. So, so the only culture that the United States really has is this idea of of rule of law and freedom of expression. And both of those things are good things, and that's what makes America great. But it's also what makes America horrible is because we have this such strong emphasis on on freedom and expression. Things like strength and responsibility have been pushed to the side, and then we're constantly uh, preached that about diversity and multiculturalism <laughs> and all these kind of things. And oh and don't get me wrong, I I love to study other cultures. So, uh, absolutely. I, you know, I absolutely love it. Most of my friends are actually foreigners from other countries, and, and I'm fascinated by their cultures and their unique and distinct ways of doing things because in America, we don't really have a, a, a real culture. Our culture here is – uh, you know, go to the shopping mall, buy an iPhone, you know, get you a hamburger, you know, uh, get on some dating app and have a couple of hookups. And, you know, that's pretty much American culture. Like, just do whatever the fuck you want, you know. But if you go to Korea or Japan or Germany or France or, you know, the UK, there's thousands of years of history and they have distinct uh, languages they have uh, distinct art, a very distinct, unique ways of doing things, and they have value systems that are very solid. But those things are starting to be eroded, even the, in those countries too, because everyone wants to be like America. Let's Absolutely. throw away, 
let's let, throw away our culture. Yeah. Let's throw away our culture in favor of consumerism. That is our culture is consumerism. And I'm not necessarily anti-capitalist. Capitalist at its best is two people trading. Like, hey, I have an apple and you have an orange. I want that. You want this. Let's trade. That's capitalism in its purest and most honest form. But our, our capitalism now has turned into this consumerism of, hey, let's cut down every tree. Let's, uh, you know, build walls around our, our rivers and sell bottled water back to the people. You know, we're, 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 we're basically slaves to our own planet. Absolutely, in the sense, because we've, we, I mean, and I'll say this, a wise man once said, the truth is men are tired of liberty. And I hate to say that expression nowadays, but it's absolutely uh, true. Can you say that one we, more time? The truth is men are tired of liberty. Who said you know, that? He, um, he was a wise Italian man. Uh, he was around, uh, he was a Italian politician in the 1920s. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll dig about that quote and send it to you. Um, but yeah, he was absolutely right on that one because he, um, you know, he looked around, he saw the world around him and he said, you know what, the, we've had all this liberty and freedom, but what has it really gotten us? You know, it's gotten broken families and people that, you know, only care about the bottom dollar, you know, and that's really what we have right now. And that's the tragedy of it, because the reason why those cultures, those ancient cultures of France, Germany, Korea, Japan are being eroded is because everybody wants to be like America, but more importantly, everybody wants to just make money nobody cares about culture you know absolutely and after i went through my divorce back in 2013 you know i i sort of you know joined the club i was like you know uh, i had always been like a like a very cultural uh you know spiritual kind of guy very introspective and i sort of threw away who i was and I started going to the bars and the clubs and, and just, you know, I'm just going to be like everybody else and, and just, you know, uh, have fun and just focus on myself and do whatever the hell I want. If it feels good, do it. And it was cool for a little while, but eventually I just started to feel like, you know, a, a shell of a person. Absolutely. And I started to feel just, you know, empty and, I realized something. I'm not sure if you're if you're familiar with uh, Jocko Willinick. Willinick. Yep. Jocko Willinick. Yep. Love the guy. Okay. Well, you know, Jocko. Something that he said really woke me back up uh, a couple months ago. Uh, that is sort of helping me get back to who I was before I got divorced and sort of just gave up on you know on spiritualism and and being a a, a true stoic. I used to be yeah. a very stoic person and, and I adopted the, the stoicism, uh, you know, philosophies, but Jocko said that there is freedom in discipline, waking up early every single day, going for a run, going to the gym, you know, not drinking that beer every single day after work, you know, uh, reading at least one book a month. Discipline is freedom, freedom. because yes. Because whenever you have discipline, you are strengthening yourself, and if you're strong, you have the freedom to take yourself places that a weak man simply doesn't have those kind of options. 
absolutely. I agree completely. I, uh, I think that uh, that's absolutely true. And I think that's something that we're severely lacking more and more as time goes by because, you know, think about it like this. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example right now before I head on out. Um, okay. New Year's, resol- New Year's resolutions. Everybody makes them. Everybody talks about wanting to do them. The second February hits, February of the next year hits, everybody's out of the gym. Everybody. You can tell who the people are who are trying to stick with it because they've been there since January and they've stayed or they've just done it on a day when it's not needed to call attention to it and just kept steady going with it, which is what I'm going to try to do now. You know, I've been rereading Jocko. I've been rereading a few other things and I'm trying to get back into the gym now because, you know, I, I, I want to be a stronger man. I want to be, become a better version of me. You know, and I think that's the one core thing that I found that's helped me kind of transcend this this bullshit and this political party and this modern world. You know, starting to see that more and more. You have well, to be the best I, version of us. I, I know that I know that you have to go here in a couple minutes, uh, but I'll start to wrap things up by saying, uh, are, are you familiar with David Goggins as well? I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the guy that always runs and he always talks about like, God dang it, back in, we carried logs. It doesn't matter if you feel tired. You're at forty percent. Keep going. Yeah, you know, yeah, kinda... yeah. So, so, so David Goggins sometimes he he he's a little bit overboard. I'm like, dude, yes. like, <laughs> like, like fucking just you know, like go watch a movie or something and like have a beer. Damn it, you know. Right. I mean, but but I really like him because something that he said also changed my mind recently. Because sometimes I, I do have like a little bit of anxiety, you know, or, you know, get depressed sometimes because I, I tend to just overthink way too much. But yes, yeah, that happens. But he said something. He said, get out of your mind and in your body. If you're working out every single day, you're doing something physical, you're not going to be in your mind. You're going to be in your body. And if you're in your body, you give your mind a chance to rest. Because think about it. If you're boxing, doing martial arts, doing uh, pull-ups, push-ups, if you're running, swimming, playing basketball, during those moments, you don't have time to think about politics or, oh, um, is my girlfriend going to break up with me? Or, oh, am I going to be able to you know, uh, pay my rent this month? Stress has to go to the side so you can physically focus on this activity, and it gives your brain a chance to, to rest. So... My advice to everyone is find a physically challenging uh, activity that brings you discipline, something that you can do daily or at least, you know, five days a week uh, so that it can keep your life At five o'clock, you've got to go to martial arts class or you have to go to the gym. It gives your life some structure, some discipline. And it's good for your mind, and it helps to shape us. So I'm encouraging everyone to get into something that brings some structure and discipline into their lives. I encourage all young, especially young men, to get into the military, even if it's just for, you know, one term. I mean, it could really set the course for your life and help you uh, develop those habits of, you know, when you get up, you know, make your bed and, and be on some kind of a routine uh, that that gives you some structure. I mean, structure is a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be something that you're sl- a slave to. You can, uh, you know, occasionally break away from it and mix it up. But 
that routine will give you some sense of sanity and control over your life. Definitely, man. Definitely. And I, I appreciate you coming on here for sure. And I appreciate your perspective completely. And I think that's something that not just people in general could take, but I could definitely take myself. So I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely make sure to implement that as well. And if anybody's listening out there, they should definitely do the same. Well, but I'm going to head on out, man, but I, uh, right. well, last thing I'll say is, Hey, I'm a work in progress. I'm far from perfect. Got plenty of bad habits, but, um, you know, here and I giving up and uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast you're awesome dude I'll continue to keep up with what you're doing and uh, and hopefully we can do this again absolutely man I would love to do this again there will definitely be further episodes in the future my friend and I, I just want to say I'm very grateful that we we got to do this tonight and you got to be on my podcast and things like that and I I'm, I'm very grateful for your perspective man I, I really loved it thank you so much <laughs> alright man God bless you have a great night definitely. you too take care bye Thank you.